So how, how does this statement sound to you? Did you hear the governor the other day? I don't know about you, but I just want things back to normal. Yes, some stuff is back up and running, but it seems, and it seems like we're getting there, but there's a long way to go, and it can be so frustrating. And we know there could be setbacks, and I'm just done with all of this. I'm done talking about this. But we know we can't give up. We've got to press on, and we are in this for the long haul. The sentiment of that statement could have easily been spoken in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. Certainly in our day, uh, as we consider uh, kind of reopening and, and still on this long course of, of um, dealing with our situation, pandemic. Um, but in their day, this is God's people. They were uh, seeking to rebuild their nation, rebuild uh, the cities. Um, they had been displaced from their homeland for 50 years at this point, and they, they had been conquered, the city was destroyed, the temple was destroyed, and they were exiled. And finally, they get a chance to return to their land and to begin to rebuild the city and, and renew their worship and to restore their relationship with God, their covenant relationship with God. So we're going to be looking at these, uh, these texts, these two books, Ezra and Nehemiah. It's actually written as one book in our Bibles. It's, it's broken into two books. Um, so we're going to spend the, the summer looking at this time, this time after the Babylonian exile. And in, in the summertime, we like to tackle, um, it's kind of our tradition to tackle Old Testament texts that maybe uh, you might be less familiar with or parts of the Bible that might um, feel more obscure to us. Um, so these are all the events, especially this part of the Bible, the things that happen after the Babylonian exile. So that kind of begs the question, well, what was the Babylonian exile? And uh, that's a good question. If you, uh, if you know your Bible history, you know this is a major event in the life of God's people. Uh, if you are not familiar with Bible history, and I don't assume that everybody who's listening is familiar with Bible history, um, it's, it, it was this massive, massive event. And the shortest version, the short version of the story is this to give some background. There was a man named Abraham who God made a promise to that all the nations of the world would be blessed through him and his descendants. And, brought, and God brought him to a special land. But his grandson Jacob and his descendants, they left that land and they had to go to Egypt because there was a famine. And that was good at first because they were they had resources there. But over time, their that, that people group, that family, was oppressed and they were enslaved and it was really a terrible situation. But God delivered them from their slavery through leaders like Moses and Joshua and brought them back to this promised land, to this good land where God wanted them to be. And he gave them leaders and he gave them laws. But they the leaders violated God's law and the people turned from God in his way. And as a punishment for this, God sent a foreign nation to conquer them. The Assyrians and then the Babylonians came and displaced these people from their land and took them into exile. And that's, that's how they ended there. So that's kind of the shortest version of that that I could, uh, could do. So 
This is now the time where they're returning from this time of exile back to their land, back to this promised land. And we're going to be focusing on two main leaders during this time, a man named Ezra and a man named Nehemiah. Ezra was the one who went back and reestablished the community and reestablished it under God's law. And Nehemiah was the one who rebuilt the walls, physically rebuilt the walls of the city. He was the leader who led that. Today, however, we're going to focus on uh, another leader, a very important leader. He was the first of the main leaders to go back to the land. His name was Zerubbabel, and he rebuilt the, he helped rebuild the temple of God. And so we're going to focus on, on that today. We're actually going to, I'm going to give you a warning before we jump into Zerubbabel and what he did. And then I'll give you a little bit of background that leads us up to our text today. And then finally, some lessons that we're going to take with us from this today. So let's pray as we approach God's word here. Father, you are good, and in your goodness you have called us to be your people, and you've given us your word. And so we pray that as we, uh, as we look at it, as we seek to understand your word, that we would understand your heart, and that we would understand ourselves, and that you would show us how we might respond to your word. So be our teacher during this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, uh, a warning, a word of, two warnings for you. One, this is the story of a people rebuilding a nation together. This is not the story about rebuilding America. And again, we, we're celebrating our nation this weekend. Uh, but when we, let me try to explain this. When, when we read the Old Testament, we see a nation of people and they have leaders and they have laws. And we say, wait a minute, we're a nation of people and we have leaders and we have laws. So if, if we just did the things that helped Israel be prosperous and succeed, then, then we should do that. And if we can avoid the things that caused Israel to stumble and to, to draw them away from God. But this, the, the warning is this is not a story about America. If you do want to run parallels, you can do parallels. You look at this nation of people. These are God's chosen people. We say, okay, who are God's chosen people today? It's his church. It's, it's us. It's those of us who are called to, to faith in God through Jesus Christ. That we have been grafted in, the, the Bible says, to Abraham's family. We are part of Israel by faith. And so that's if you when it when you think nation of people think the church think God's people. Secondly, when you when you see leaders, when you see kings and other leaders, don't think president like Trump or Obama or Rutherford Hayes or anybody. When you when you read about kings in the Old Testament, think Jesus, cuz Jesus was the ultimate king. He was the king in the line of of David. There was all this um this family lineage and God promised that a king, an eternal king would come and that king has come. So we look at all the leaders of old and we compare them to the true king Jesus who still reigns. So when when you think leadership, think Jesus. And then when we think about law, especially the Old Testament law, we need to be careful because some think that uh, perhaps our nation would turn back to God if we had more righteous laws, if we just had more Christian laws, that that would, that that would do it. It would, um, it would cause people to turn back to God. Now, 
don't misunderstand me. We as people should seek to have more righteous laws in our land. To have laws that promote the liberty and justice for all people. And we do that because uh, it's, it's loving and it's good and it is right. It contributes to the common good of our land. So we should seek to see those things happen. But we always need to remember that people are utterly lost in sin and darkness apart from Jesus Christ. So when we, we hear about the law, what we should think is about obedience, obedience to God and trusting God. Because the law in the Old Testament was a way for people to trust God and to be, to, to be obedient to his path. The only way that we can make this nation that we live in uh, more righteous or more Christian is if more people surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. That's the only way it's going to happen. I think there's a, a, a it's, laws aren't going to do it on their own. I think there's a danger for us in this warning that um, that somehow America is God's special vehicle to bring the gospel to the world. It's not. God, are, God already has a vehicle that he has chosen to bring his good news to the world. It's the church. It's his people. And it's going to take uh, Christians from America and Christians from other countries, those who follow Jesus Christ, to, to bring that good news to the world, that people's hearts and, and lives in our land indeed might be changed and, and be uh, to know God's blessing. But it's God's people to do that. I love America. And I had a great time this weekend just uh, celebrating a little kind of limited still and what we can do. And, um, you know, I had to postpone the town fireworks i think the town sort of self-compensated or uh, self-corrected last night if you were outside at all but um you know um it is the it is the so i love this country but it is the church not our country that will um represent jesus um so but that doesn't mean we should disengage from political things um we really need to be faithfully present in those systems but our hope is not in the government to to change the world. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. So that's my little warning. That's my little 4th of July warning for you. Uh, the second warning is that when we read these stories, these, are, these stories are not primarily about you. It's not primarily about America. It's not primarily about you either. We want to jump right into these stories. Say, okay, Zerubbabel uh, rebuilt the foundation of the temple. How do I rebuild the foundation of my life? Or Nehemiah uh, built the walls of the city to protect them. How do I rebuild the walls of my life to protect me from evil? And we want to jump right in. And what the, the caution is we need to take a step back and look at it in its context. Because these events happened, and we need to understand them. It, it, you could ask the guys in my small group, and I always say, we we got to make observations and interpret these texts before we talk about applying them to our own life, because we just want to jump right to ourselves. But the Bible's not about us primarily, it's about God, and what we learn about God, and what we learn about humanity. And then, yes, my story does fit into God's story. Particularly my story of exile and homecoming, just as these people were exiled and came back to their land, that we all have been exiled, you know, cast out from God in sin. And it's only through his forgiveness and his grace that we are brought back home to a relationship with him. So our story absolutely fits God's story. But we need to understand it in its context first. So that's, that's just my little word of warning. 
Now some background. What happened here? So this story starts, the, the, the Jews are in, living in exile, and they're living under um, the, the rule, was, it was per, Persia was in charge. And so they're living under Persian rule, and there was a Persian king named Cyrus. And in Ezra chapter 1, it says that God moved in King Cyrus's heart to let these people return back to Jerusalem in the region of Judah and, and to go and to rebuild their temple. And so he sent them with permission and he sent them with resources to go and rebuild this city. And so the families got together, Ezra chapter 2 lists uh, these families, and they go and they settle down. And then after some time, they get to work. Chapter 3. They, they, the first thing they do is they rebuild the altar. So that everything is rubble and demolished. But there was an altar that was going to go in the temple. And it was where they would make sacrifices. And they built that first. So the first thing they did was restore their worship of God and start making sacrifices to God. And so they, uh, so they were worshiping and then they laid the foundation. They laid out the sort of, the, they kind of framed out the whole temple and they get, the, they get all this foundation built and, and, and they have a huge party. And people still do that. Like you have a groundbreaking ceremony or when a project gets started and you can see that there's going to be progress, you throw a huge party. And there was music and there was singing and there was worship and it was this great party because the foundation of the temple had been re-established. It was just a real high time. But three big problems. One was the old people. As they're celebrating... The foundation's all built. There was shouts of joy, but in the midst of it was crying. The old people were crying because they looked at the new temple and they thought, oh no, this is not as good as the old temple. Solomon's temple was much more glorious and, and they just were weeping at how terrible their new temple is. That's pretty discouraging if you're building a new temple. And everybody's so excited. And the old people are like, nah, it's not as good as it used to be. Super discouraging. And actually, you can almost feel that. Uh, some of you returning back into the building for the first time today. There's this moment of like, wow, we're back. And it's, it's good to be back and good to be together. And yes, we do, we do lose something when we're apart. And, and gathering online is fantastic, but, and I hope that everybody has at some point you know, that experience of coming back and realizing how good it is and how special it is to be together. But then it's like, oh, but not everybody's back, and I'm wearing this mask, and this is not the same. It's just sort of this, this, the joy, but also the letdown. And we can feel that and in different ways we've been experiencing that. So it was the, the old folks, kind of a downer for them. Uh, also, so that was the first discouragement. The second discouragement was the neighbors. There was people who had remained in the land or they were living around this area and they see this rebuilding happening and they're a little threatened by it and they weren't allowed to participate in it. Uh, so they just decided they were going to just completely discourage this work and they actively discouraged the work of rebuilding the temple. So much so that the work came to a complete halt for 16 years. So all they had was this foundation and sort of the framing of this temple, and the work just completely stops. 16 years. 
a complete standstill. And it was at the encouragement of the prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and under the leadership of Zerubbabel, they, they did return to the work. They actually started again. But then we had the third problem, is the government. The governor, a man named Tatnai, shows up. And he says, hey, uh, where's your building permit for this temple you're building? Who gave you permission to build this? And the people said, well, Cyrus, the decree of Cyrus, he, he um, gave us permission and resources to build. He said, <laughs> and the governor said, Cyrus is not the king anymore. There's a new king, and his name is Darius. And we're going to write him a letter and let him know that what you're doing and that we don't know if you have permission or not to do this. So they write a letter to King Darius, king of Persia. Darius gets the letter and sees that, you know, the claim is that your predecessor gave these people permission to go build this temple. Oh, and by the way, they're using huge stones and they're working pretty quickly now. So we'd like uh, your thoughts about these people. So, Dar- so uh, King Darius, he actually, he goes through the archives and sure enough, they find the letter. They find the building permit uh, that, that's, that Cyrus had issued previously. And so he wrote a letter back. He said, all right, uh, they have permission to rebuild that temple and we're going to pay for it. Out of, our, out of the Persian treasury. We're going to pay for this whole temple to be completely rebuilt. And if anybody gets in their way, we're going to knock down your house and turn it into rubble. That's a pretty good endorsement. That brings us to our verse, our text today. And verse 13 says, Then because of this decree of King Darius, the decree he had sent, Tatnai the governor of Trans-Euphrates, and Shethar Bazanai and their associates carried it out with diligence. (laughs) King king wants it done, and we're not going to get in your way. So the work resumed. This is about um, 520 B.C., and then within four years, they finished it. They finally finished building this temple, and it had been 70 years from the time that it was destroyed to the time that it was rededicated. And so... What do we learn from this? What are the lessons for us today? Three things. One, God will always finish his work to bring his people home. Verse 15 says, They finished building the temple according to the command of God, the God of Israel, and the decree of Cyrus, Darius, Artaxerxes, the kings of of Persia. Um, It was... It was God's work. And even when it was frustrated, and even when it was stopped, that God was still at work, and God was using even these foreign kings to finish his work of bringing his people home. That even when they couldn't see it, he was doing that. And for us, we need to remember that God will finish the good work that he's started in his church and in you. Philippians chapter 1 says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That whatever, um, the, the things that, that God has begun in you by faith, he will complete. 
And he will ultimately bring us home. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and take you to be with me where I am. And and you know the way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. That there's an ultimate home for us that we will experience. and, And he will do it. And that also reminds us, you know, this world is not our home. This world is going to be a frustrating place. We are going to be frustrated uh, by political systems. We are going to be frustrated by social systems. We're going to be frustrated by the way this world works. But God is preparing a perfect home for us. And we can experience that in, in part. We can experience it more and more. But on this side of heaven, it will be very frustrating. Yet we press on. We, we still seek to bring the good news of Jesus and to be agents of his, his grace and his justice in this world everywhere we go. Because God will finish his work. Secondly, not only will God finish his work, but secondly, there's a great connection between the work of God and the word of God. Look at verse 14. It says, so the elders... Of the, of the Jews continued to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the prophet, a descendant of Edo. This beautiful connection of God's word, which encouraged the people to press on, to continue their part of it. See, God was using them. God's desire was for them to do the work, but they needed God's encouragement to complete, and it came through his word. So the prophet Haggai, oh, and these, if you, um, Haggai and Zechariah, those prophets, those, we have their writings. And if you're going to read through Ezra and Nehemiah this summer, I'd encourage you to do that. Read those texts as well, because they companion the, the historic part of what we're reading. This is now God's word through his prophet to encourage these things. And Haggai said things uh, like this. Let me just quote him. He says, Um, Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, um, the governor of Judah. Uh, To Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. To the remnant of the people, ask them, Who of you is, is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord. It, it's, it's just a reminder. Hey, I know people say this, this new temple is not as good as the old temple. You keep working, because God is with you. Don't ever forget it, and do not fear. Zechariah he, he tells Zerubbabel, said, look, Your hands laid this foundation, and I know it's just a foundation, it's just been sitting there for years, but your hand will complete it, says the Lord. It's just that encouragement to press on. And we need God's word. They had the prophets, but we have God's word to help us to press on in what God has called us to. And it's so easy to get dragged down. It is so easy to be discouraged. We need to get back to God's word. And the beauty of God's word, and that we are people of the word, the beauty of the Bible is that as we take in God's word, his peace begins to grow and flourish in our lives. 
and we just reground ourselves in his word and that, that those, same, those same words of to, for us to be strong, to know his peace, to not fear, we need just as much today as God's people have always needed. So God will finish his work and his work and his word are connected. And, and lastly, uh, thirdly here, God forgives. God forgives. Verse 17. For the dedication of this house of God, they offered 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 male lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, one for each of the tribes of Israel. These are, this is offerings to God and sin offerings specifically offered. One for each of the 12 tribes. This whole nation is re, uh, reestablishing in itself, but it's reestablishing saying, we have sinned. And this whole period, all these years of exile are because of sin. And it is only by God's grace that he didn't just leave them in exile, which he could have done. But God desired to bring them home and he desired to show them his grace. And they uh, demonstrate it through these, uh, through these sacrifices. And then perhaps one, the most beautiful verse of this passage is verse 19. The exiles celebrated the Passover. They finished the temple and then they were able to celebrate the Passover. The Passover was a commemoration of when God rescued them from slavery in Egypt and brought them out. And it was, it was the blood of the lamb that they put on their, their doorposts to cover them and protect them from God's judgment and protect them from death. It was the Passover lamb, the blood of the Passover lamb. For us, Jesus is our Passover lamb. That is the blood of Jesus shed on the cross that covers us from God's judgment against our sin. It covers us from the death and separation from God. That we are covered by the blood of the Passover lamb, Jesus. But it's because we've sinned that we need that covering, but God provides it. It's his grace. It's his goodness. And we receive it because God is a God who desires to forgive. And we need to remember that sin is costly, but that God's grace is sufficient. And that's why it's so important that we celebrate communion. Communion is just the, is really essentially the Passover. Jesus was celebrating the Passover with his disciples. And it was, they, it was a ceremony with bread and with wine. And Jesus reinterpreted it in himself. He said, this bread is my body given for you. This cup is the cup of the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. It was, it, it was, um, his, his, it was his blood given. And so we need to do that. But it's been so long. We haven't celebrated communion together here in person since March. And it's important that we do this. And we will in a minute. Praise God. Because it reminds us uh, both of our sinfulness and of his sacrifice and sufficiency of his grace. So we're going we're gonna to do this together here. A little different today than, than we have. We'll get there someday. But we'll celebrate. And, 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 and you at home, if you have uh, bread and if you have uh, juice or, or wine or um, a, a drink, then we're going to invite you to join. We're going to invite everybody at home to join what, with what we're doing here as well. But we are, we are people who will find our true home in God. He will complete his work and we will be encouraged by his word and we will receive forgiveness from him. Let us pray. Father, um, we just love your word. We love that you 
Use it to shape us and to show us who you are and what you've done in the past. Which also gives us the vision for what you are doing now and what you will do in the future, Lord. So we pray that we, however we are, feel wandering and lost in this world, that we would be grounded in you and in your word. That we might experience this forgiveness that you offer, Lord. And we do confess that we all sin and fall short. So we turn to you, a God who forgives, and a God who forgives completely, not because of anything we do, but because of your purpose and because of your grace, Lord. So once again, we just, we, we come back to the cross and we submit ourselves to you to be our Lord, to be our Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.